0: Hello and good morning. (laughs) Kind of looks like we missed the rapture today, doesn't it? I'll have to rethink that theologically. Such a shame. You ever look back on the things you did when you were a kid and you think, why in the world did I do that? Some of us husbands look back to yesterday and think, why in the world did I say that? But I remember as a kid, I think I was about 12 years old because I was about sixth grade, is that right? Anyway, sixth grade, five, seven, anyway. in middle school, I know that. And the name of the teacher was Miss Brady. Miss Brady. She taught English and this was the first time that um, you know all your classes are separate and you had separate teachers for separate subjects. Miss Brady was my English teacher. And I don't know why, but some, for some reason, I sort of took it upon myself to begin counting her mistakes. It's crazy. I mean, it's crazy. And I try to put myself back in the mindset of who I was back then, and I, it's almost like it's a different person. It's just weird. But I count or counted her mistakes. In fact, in the back of my English notebook on that last page, I had a full page, and at the top I wrote, Miss Brady's mistakes. <laughs> and I didn't like write out what they were. I just did sort of like, you know, hash marks. You know, one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. And it just numbered them. I just started counting them. Yeah, I know. Amazing. Right? But I did it. I did it. And somehow the word got out that this is what I was doing. And so whenever Mrs. Brady would make a mistake, all the kids in the class would turn and look at me. And I'd flip open my book and, you know, make a mark. Kids. It even got to the point once <laughs> where Miss Brady Made a mistake and everybody knew she made a mistake, and she flipped around and said, That was not a mistake, Wayne. (laughs) How'd you like to teach in that kind of a context where at least one student is just waiting for you to make a mistake? That's terrible. That is terrible. Yes, so don't be marking down my mistakes because definitely there's a lot of them. You know, I, I look back at that, and like I said, I, I, I'm I not proud to share that because that's, that's terrible. But at the same time, it's who we are. I'd like to say that I've grown out of that habit, or I don't write them down anymore, <laughs> but... I don't have to write them down, and neither do you. There's some people in our lives that we've got the list, and we're checking it twice, and we can tell you who's naughty or nice. We keep lists in our mind of mistakes that people have made, and it's crazy. I mean, we accept fully the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ But for some reason, we aren't able to make that transfer to the lives of other people who need forgiveness as well. Jesus can forgive me, but I will not forgive others. In fact, I'm going to keep a list of it. Turn to Leviticus chapter 9. I've jumped a few chapters ahead here to look at a special. Theme that we see in Leviticus 9 that we'll talk about. I read about a little boy named Timmy who was afraid of lightning and thunder. And whenever there was a bad storm, he'd always run and jump in his parents' bed. And so finally, you know, the mother tucks him back in and says, you know, Timmy, don't be afraid. You know, you need to remember that God is with you. And so Timmy says, okay, God's with me. And so, you know, another 10 minutes go by, and there's this loud clap of thunder. Timmy scrambles back into his parents' bed, and she says, Timmy, don't you remember that God is with you? Oh, yeah, I remember that God is with me, but I need somebody with skin on. (laughs) Don't kids say the greatest things? we need somebody with skin on we need somebody we need a god with skin on i remember uh my mom many of you know has been with the lord now so i guess it's about 18 years but uh, she struggled hard with life she was an alcoholic and that was how she uh, tried to avoid a lot of the pain that happened to her both as a victim and as a result of her own decisions, she had a wonderful heart. She was a believer, uh, but she still struggled greatly. And I'll never forget one conversation I had with Mom uh, on the phone. And, I, you know, as I would often try to do, sort of like a child in a, in a thunderstorm, I would tell her about the Lord, and we'd talk about God and how God might be able to be a solution or at least a direction for her, as opposed to other things she was pursuing. And that seems to go well, until the thunder claps, you know? And then we need a God with skin on. It's not just this academic God in a book, God who sometimes says yes to prayers, most of the time says no. Mom said, and I'll never forget her words, she says, I want a God I can touch. I want a God that's real. And what's, what I always love when I think about those words is that she has that now, in glory. She, she has, uh, in a tactile way, what she only had here by faith. But we need a God with skin on. We need reality in our Christian life, not just academics. We need to see God in the flesh, not just in a book. A God whose goal is not to count our sins, but to find a way to remove them, because he longs to be with us. Leviticus chapter 9 takes us back to the beginning of uh, something wonderful in the lives of the Hebrews. Of course, in the first chapters of Leviticus, we haven't made it all the way to chapter 9, but like I said, we've jumped ahead a little bit. But the first chapters here are, well, the end of Exodus, they're setting up the tabernacle. Now, the beginning of Leviticus we've seen over the last weeks is looking at all the sacrifices that were to be done. But at this point, it it had all been academic. This is like, this is how you're going to do the burnt offering. This is how you're going to do the peace offerings, etc. But now in chapter 9, they put it into action. And they put it into action because God showed up in a marvelous, marvelous way. So look at uh, chapter 9, verse 1. It came about on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a calf, a bull for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering, both without defect, and offer them before the Lord. Then to the sons of Israel you shall speak, saying, Take a male goat for a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both one-year-old without defect, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. Wow. Verse 5, So they took what Moses had commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the whole congregation came and stood before the Lord, Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. So twice we're told here, Get get ready. All the sacrifices that we talked about, get them ready, because God, verse 4, is going to appear to you. And in verse 6, Moses says, The glory of the Lord may appear to you. Something special is about to happen today here at the tabernacle. The emphasis, the repeated emphasis, is that God is going to appear to them. Imagine the anticipation. If we had that knowledge that the rapture was going to happen today, maybe it has, I don't know. Here we are in, a, in our class. But if we had that knowledge, how would you feel? Interesting, I read some time ago the U.S. News and World Report asked those who call themselves Christians in the United States, they asked them this question, Quote, in general, how often would you say you have experienced God's presence or a spiritual force that felt very close to you? Ten percent said never. This is Christians in the United States. Ten percent never have. Seventeen percent once or twice. Twenty-three percent several times. Forty-nine percent, basically half, said many times. Well, that's U.S. News World Report. George Barna's survey showed that nearly two-thirds of regular church attenders say that they have never experienced God's presence at church even once. Here in this passage, verse 5, this tent, notice, is called the Tent of Meeting prior to this tabernacle being set up, there was another tent of meeting that Moses had, sort of outside, that Moses would meet with God. But now, once they set up the tabernacle, that one's gone, and they only focused on this one. The tent of meeting is what it's called. Notice it's not called the tent of reading, the tent of giving, of listening, but it's the tent of meeting. This is where you would come to meet with God. And if you're one of those who comes to church on a regular basis who has never experienced the presence of God, I want you to maybe just challenge yourself to ask why. Why? Why do we come to church? We don't come to church just to be entertained, though often we are. We don't come to just get our needs met, though often we do. We come to worship God. We come to meet God in a way that we don't in our personal, private, quiet times. You know that worship is the only thing that we do as a body that is not something that we can do together, uh, uh, individually, and worship would also include communion? We can't do these things by ourselves. The church, the word church means assembly. It talks about coming together. And, and experiencing a worship of God. This is why we gather. We can read on our own. We can listen to a preacher on the radio. We can do a lot of the things that we do here in church by ourselves, but we can't do together uh, worship like we can here at church or by ourselves like we can here at church. Now, look down at verse 22, if you would. Skip a few verses. And here's where God actually shows up or or begins to here. Verse 22, Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering. So Aaron, the high priest, lifts up his hands and blesses the people. I don't know, you may have in your margin to verse 22, Numbers 6 verse 22 and following. You don't need to turn there, but you remember what that is. Number six is where the high priestly or the priestly blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you. We could almost quote that because Harry quotes that at the end of our service. He kind of gives us our little benediction at the end of our class. The Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Gracious to you, give you peace. Grace and peace. And so it's no surprise that when the Apostle Paul writes many of his letters, he begins with those words, grace and peace. And it's because of Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is because of Christ that we have grace and peace. And notice, as we read here in verse 22, it was after he made the sin offering, burn offering, the peace offering that Aaron blessed them, that that grace and peace comes because of sacrifice. It comes because of the grace of God. Well, look what happened next. Verse 23, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out and blessed the people the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Have you ever been to uh, like a bonfire or some kind of a pyrotechnic show I don't remember, I was like at a circus or something one time where they had this controlled explosion about 20 feet in front of me. Just whoof. And I felt the heat on my face like I'd just stuck my face in an oven. And it 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 wasn't dangerous, but it was definitely shocking. That's sort of what I picture here when the fire comes down and just sort of right there takes up on the altar like Elijah on Mount Carmel. You've got just this fire coming down, and the people saw it. And it says that they shouted. We might think, if we just read here in the New American Standard, that they fell on their faces, they shouted, and were afraid. But if you have the New International Version, it gives a better sense of what the Hebrew text says. The Hebrew word here for shout is a shout of joy. They shouted for joy and fell on their faces. God showed up. God was skin on, you might say. God came in a very uh, undeniable sense, an undeniable sense. The fire came from God. And incidentally, that's why that fire was never to go out. God lit the fire in the tabernacle, which is why you were never to bring any other fire into the tabernacle or into the presence of God other than the fire that God lit. That fire should never go out because God lit it. That was the important thing. I remember reading uh, or hearing some years ago about uh, immigrants that would come over from, you know, Europe to the states, and they would have they would bring coals from the their homeland, and they'd bring coals from in like these ovens or however they kept the coals alive, kept the coals going. They brought them overseas. Uh, because these coals had been in their family for generations. They had, had fires in their homes that they had never let go out. Has anybody ever heard of that before? Interesting. I don't think it's an urban legend. I think it, it's really true. But when I heard that, I just was fascinated that there was such a, 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 a tenderness toward the generations past, such an importance based on we don't let this go out, this is our family. The significance of it I don't understand for immigrants, but certainly we understand it here in Leviticus because God lit the fire. God lit that fire, and he says, don't you, let, don't you let it go out. And every time you go in to offer a sacrifice or every time you go in to burn incense, you bring coals from the fire I lit. That's why it can't ever go out. God did all of this because he wanted to be among his people. And he, was, he, showed, he showed up in a way that was undeniable that day. And they all fell down with joy, not with fear. Now, for the rest of our time, I want to chase this theme throughout the rest of the Bible. And we're going to do it pretty fast. And so rather than you feeling like you've got to keep up, you're welcome to go ahead and shut your Bible. And do me a favor. If you've got a zipper, zip it. I can always tell when it's about time for the message to stop because I hear the zips. Oh, it's zipping. Is it 12 o'clock? It is 12 o'clock. Time time to go. Time to beat the Baptists to lubies. But we're going to chase this theme all throughout the Bible, and the theme is God wants to be with us. This is why he had the tabernacle built. So that he could dwell among his people. So just listen as we go through this, and I will. Uh, you're welcome to jot down the verses if you want to look them up later. I'll mention the verse references. But the significance of this is that God wants to be with us. Genesis 3, verse 8, begins and says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? In that verse we get the clear implication that God was with Adam and Eve, um, not just here because they'd sinned, but was with them previously because they recognized the sound of God walking in the garden. They knew it wasn't an elephant coming. They knew this is God. And so they hid themselves. Why? Because they'd sinned. And they knew instinctively that God could not allow, could not abide sin in his presence. And so from Genesis chapter 3, God starts for the rest of the Bible to set out to solve a problem. Because Adam and Eve had their first hash mark, as it were, in their long list of sins. And God wanted to solve that problem of sin that separates them from God. God began to solve the problem. The Bible is a story largely of the kingdom of God. That's really the theme of the Bible, is the kingdom of God. But a sub-theme is how we're going to make that kingdom work. And redemption is what we see all throughout the scripture as well. It's a story of redemption. So in the course of time, As Genesis goes on, about nine chapters later, we see that God chooses one man, Abraham, from all the people on the planet. and says, Abraham, from you I'm going to start a great nation. In fact, from you ultimately is going to come the one through whom I'm going to be a blessing to the whole world. And, of course, we know that this is the Hebrew race and that they were taken down into Egypt as slaves, they were brought out by God's mighty hand, which brings us to what we read here, read here in Leviticus, that God set up a sanctuary, wanted them to set up a sanctuary. Listen to Exodus 25, verse eight. God says, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. That's why God wanted that tent set up. It's not just so they could go camping with God, but so that God could be with them. And then after it was constructed, we're told the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the, cl- and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Exodus 40, verse 34. God showed up once again. It's the very last verse in Exodus, and the very next book is Leviticus. that says, what are you to do with this tabernacle? How can God dwell among his people? And then Leviticus, of course, as we've seen, gives that answer. Listen to Leviticus 16, verse 16. The Lord said, He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. God wants to be with his people, but sin gets in the way. And so he provided a way that that those impurities or those sins could be taken away. And later, as we know, God promised his presence among them in a way that would be much, much different than simply God in the tabernacle or God in the temple. Now there is a prophecy of God in a bod. God was skin on, literally. We're familiar with Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son, and she will call his name Immanuel, with us, God, is what the Hebrew literally means. And, of course, as the New Testament opens, the very first chapter, Matthew tells us that the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to dwell among them is found in a baby. Matthew 1, verse 23, quotes Isaiah seven fourteen. Matthew writes, Behold, the virgin will be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now, I don't have baby pictures to show you yet of my grandchild, but I could. It's a little weird and pretty personal to show you a sonogram, but I've seen sonogram pictures, and you know that you know that you're a, a, a dyed-in-the-wool grandparent when you get excited about sonogram pictures. The sonogram pictures are amazing, I mean, amazing that you can stick this little Doppler thing on a tummy and see this little baby in the womb jumping around. I have seen, and he's a boy by the way, it's a boy, I have seen this little boy, I mean doing bungee jumping there in the (laughs) womb, it's great, it's really cool to see and it's exciting as Kate has entered her second trimester. But as I looked at this baby bouncing around in there, this baby boy, I thought about the fact that that was was Jesus at one point. Jesus was doing the bungee jumping in Mary's womb at, at one point. And what is amazing, of course, he's at a stage now where he can be seen. But in that first moment of conception, there's just one cell you don't see that I mean I guess you could if you look really close but you don't see that and to imagine as as the Apostle Paul writes of um, Jesus that all the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form meaning all the fullness the the eternality of God dwelt in a zygote in one cell <laughs> That's unfathomable. Not only of us to try to imagine that, but it's also unfathomable to think of the humility of God, the God of the universe dwelling in one cell and becoming a man. It's amazing. Well, as we walk through Leviticus so far, we've also seen how Jesus fulfilled the sacrifices. Jesus represents these various sacrifices they're like a shadow that point to him but not only are the sacrifices a shadow but the tabernacle that we've been talking about today is also a shadow of Jesus he fulfills that as well listen to John chapter 1 verse 1 and then verse 14 John writes in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only-begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the Word of God, we're told, became flesh and dwelt. The word that that John uses there for dwelt is the word that refers to the Old Testament tabernacle. And he makes a verb out of it, and he basically says that, that Christ tabernacled among us. And when he says we beheld his glory, that adds another layer of wow to the whole tabernacle idea because God's glory, as we read in Leviticus, indwelt that tabernacle and so that he could be among his people. And so when John says that, that Jesus Christ became flesh and now tabernacled with us, it means that the glory of God in the bod of Jesus was walking around among them. It's, a, it's fascinating to, to make the comparison of the tabernacle to Jesus, because John does that. Of course, Christ chooses his 12 disciples, and we're told in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, he appointed 12, and here's the purpose, that they might be with him. He wants to be with them and he's providing a way to make it happen. John 14, at the end of Christ's life, he says, "'In my Father's house are many dwelling places. "'If it were not so, I would have told you. "'I go to prepare a place for you. "'And if I go and prepare a place for you, "'I will come again and receive you to myself, "'that where I am, there you may be also.'" When Jesus died, we're told, the book of Hebrews says that Christ entered into the holy place in heaven as our high priest and performed that function that occurred on the day of atonement. He paid for all of our sins when he died. All of the hash marks that were on our English book have been removed. They're all taken away. All taken away. And at his ascension, Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's with us and he wants to be with us. He, he, he designed the whole thing from the beginning. Adam and even the garden were with him. The tabernacle in among the Hebrews to be with them. The temple in Solomon's day to be with them. The glory of God in the body of Jesus that He might be with them. And now He says, "I'll be with you always." How? Paul writes to the Christians, to us, to the Corinthians. He says, "Do you not know that your body?" Is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. First Corinthians 6:19. Now, God is in our body, if you think of it that way. We've got the Holy Spirit living within us, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus. And why is that? Because God wants to be with us. God wants to be with us. We are God's temple. Paul would even write in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Again, with the Lord. God wants to be with us. So even if we're separate from our body, we're not separate from the Lord. The Holy Spirit is with us in the body. If we're absent from the body, we're still present with the Lord. At the rapture, so whether we die, which is what I just read, absent from the body, we're with the Lord. Or if we live to the rapture, we're told in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 18, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So if we die, we're with the Lord. If we live in our bodies, we're with the Lord, because the Holy Spirit's within us. If at the rapture, we'll be forever with the Lord. And we have this wonderful thing to look forward to in the future, After our death or after the rapture, which could occur at any moment, we have the promise of Jesus coming again to this earth. First time he came in the humility of a zygote, the next time he comes, it's going to be with the power of the mighty Christ stopping the war and his feet touching down on the Mount of Olives where the book of Zechariah says that he will touch down. And listen to what Ezekiel 37, verse 27 says. My dwelling place will also be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Zechariah 2, verse 10. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. These are prophecies that look forward to the future coming of Jesus on this planet, ruling for a 1,000 years, fulfilling the kingdom of God promised to Israel. And then if we jump all the way to the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 3, we hear this, and it's just this wonderful conclusion. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. So from the very beginning, God wanted to be with his people. Sin separated that. So God provided the tabernacle. God provided the temple. God provided Christ. God provided the Holy Spirit within us. God provides the rapture. God provides the promised coming of the kingdom in the millennium. And God provides in the new heaven and the new earth that he will dwell among his people forever. Forever. Because God wants to be with us. So when we think about you know, Christmas, we often just think about Jesus coming and, you know, of course he's going to die on the cross and all that, and all of that is significant, but that is just one event and many, many, many events and more to come of God's desire to be with us. He wants to be with us, but he's got to take care of that sin problem, and he did with Jesus Christ. God longs to be with us now and forever, and Jesus made it possible. Uh, I like the way Paul Homer puts it. He says, seeking God with your whole heart is no joke, especially if it might be the only way to find him. You see, if we come into God's presence, we are to come on his terms, and his terms are through Christ. So what about now, though? What about here and now today. When you come to church, look at it in a sense of coming to the assembly. You might think of it as coming to the tent of meeting or coming to, the, to a place where we will worship God in a very special way. And in your daily time with the scriptures, it's not just reading a book, it's not just checking a box and slamming the Bible shut and then going and kicking the dog. We live the word. We love the Word, but it's not just the Word. The Word is the means by which we spend time with God. And we listen to the voice of God through the Scriptures. So, from a dry old text like Leviticus and all the way from Genesis to Revelation, we see the wonderful truth that God doesn't need us, but He wants us. And He wants to be with us. He loved us so much that He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. Think about when somebody in your life offends you, assuming they're not family. If they're family, it's complicated. (laughs) But when they're not family, it's easy. Peace out, you know, we're done. Have a good life, see at the rapture, maybe. It's so easy when someone offends us to just write them off. We're done. We are so done. Think about how God could have done that with us. Think about how God could have done that with you. But he didn't. He wants to be with you. He is with you. That's the promise we have. That he sent Christ and then... Christ sends the Spirit of God to dwell within us as as a seal, as a promise, that when he comes again, we will be with him forever and forever. And we will have, in my mom's words, a God we can touch, a God we can see, a God we can feel, and ultimately a God whom we will worship. I look forward to it. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this, um, this broad brush stroke of grace through the Scriptures today. We see it in Leviticus, but it's just one dip of the, of the ladle in the ocean of truth that you long to be with us, long to be with us so much that you made it happen, that you came humbling yourself in so many ways and so many times throughout the Scriptures. From the humility of coming and dwelling among a sinful people in the tabernacle and the temple. The amazing humility of sending your son to be born a humble, humble carpenter. To die a death that wasn't his to die. And um, to send the Holy Spirit to dwell us, to indwell us that are justified by grace through faith in Jesus and yet we continue to sin, and yet the Spirit never leaves us. You want to be with us. The promise that you're coming again to take us to be with you, sending your Son to make that happen. And, of course, the glorious future we have ahead of us at the second coming of Christ and ultimately the eternal state. We have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to look forward to. And most of that is that because we will? Is that we will be with you? We will see you, as Revelation says. We will see your face. Thank you for that hope, and Father, we do uh, ask that if there is anyone who does not have that hope, that does not know Jesus Christ, that your mercy would be upon them to open their eyes to realize that the only way that those hash marks of sin can be taken off their record is by placing their faith in Jesus who died for their sins and took them away. We pray that you would draw them to you. And for those of us who have made that decision of faith, deepen our love as you have uh, expanded our our hope or given us the the insight of our future. May our hope deepen our love. Thank you for this season. Thank you for the time to be able to sing together and to say together that God is with us in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Harry, come do what you do best. (laughs) Okay, if you still own your Christmas tickets, Lisa's over here. See you all Friday. It's going to be a wonderful party. I'm looking forward to that so much. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.